Hi again, everybody. Jamie Rutsky on the lighter side of baseball. You know that when you hear that great song from the title in town of Chicago, it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. This is episode number 38, and uh, we're going to go over maybe later some of the exciting numbers 38. I forgot to do that the last time. 37 is uh, pretty relevant to, to today, and that's uh, Steven Strasburg, number 37. Dick Ellsworth on the Cubs, number 37. Ted Abernathy on the Kansas City A's, 37. And we're going to look through some of the uh, baseball encyclopedias to really find out who in the world is uh, the big-time number 37s. I think um, God, Jimmy Pearsall might have been 37. I don't know, but I do know that there are some great things going on in baseball. Number one, we have... One half of the World Series opponents already picked, and that is the Washington Nationals. The first time the franchise from Montreal came through and won the National League pennant. How about that? And uh, back, speaking of the original franchise in Montreal, first and foremost, David Earl Nelson was a coach up in Montreal. I'm the proud owner of one of his baseball caps from the Montreal Expos. That's where I met Tim Raines. Uh, I've got a bat signed by The Rock, the Hall of Fame Tim Raines. Anyway, we can do the six degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon some other time. But I also represented one of the only major leaguers I got to negotiate a contract for, Nelson Santovania. Had a great time negotiating that contract. Got him a pretty good deal in Montreal. And uh, in spite of that, uh, he fired me the next year. Ha, tough break. You know, it's no fun to get fired by these guys. I put the voodoo hex on him, and he was out of baseball within a year. Uh, finished his career here in Kansas City. And, uh, you know, why get rid of your agent? All I'm doing is my best to get you money. Um, boy, oh, boy, that was a sad day. But Nelson Santovania, uh, Montreal Expo. So it's been since 1933 that the Nationals or the Washington Senators at that point were able to secure a spot in the World Series. So 1933 World Series and now the 2019 World Series and the Nationals are going to take on either the New York Yankees or the Houston Astros. Either way, the series will begin in the American League City because A, the Astros and Yankees both won over 105 games and B, the Nationals were the wildcard team, and so uh, the wildcard team, as good as that plays from time to time, uh, has managed to get itself in the World Series, similar to the Royals. The Kansas City Royals did the same thing. So the uh, conspiracy theorists around Major League Baseball are looking at the home run counts because it appears that the number of home runs compared to the number of home runs in the uh, regular season is drastically different. Way down, way down. So we're going to look at that. We'll do an empirical study of that. We're going to have fun. Howie Kendricks, the MVP of the NLCS, well-deserved. He was the GOAT in the division series, but the dude came around with key RBIs, key home run, key double, the Cardinals lived up to everything I said about them. They are a last place team. How in the world I blew it and somehow managed to overlook the fact that everybody else, including the Cubs, would just be horrible. I missed it. Man, oh man, oh man. And uh, so I knew the real Cardinals would show up at some point. They can't hit and their pitching is okay. But in a playoff, when you see these guys a couple times in a week, you're going to be ready for them. And they got the videos and they got the all the statistics and stat cat and your cat and my cat. Don't have a cat. Be that as it may, um, it was uh, not the most entertaining unless you love pitching. Scherzer, Annabelle Sanchez, Strasburg, Corbin, bingo, bango, bungo. What a matchup we could have if the Houston Astros can win they will feature in game number one, most likely Garrett Cole versus Steven Strasburg. In game number two, Justin Verlander versus Max Scherzer. In game number three, 
Grinky versus his old teammate Corbin. My goodness gracious, this is going to be one of the most entertaining World Series we have ever seen. And so just in order to put that all in perspective, we have to wait to see what the Astros and the Yankees do because Fox is pulling for the Yankees and the rest of the world is pulling for the Astros. I'm pulling for the Astros because my brother's a big fan down there and uh, you never know, Steve-O and I may take in uh, game two down there if all things go well. You just don't know. We may take our show on the road. We may have a good time in the Bayou City. That would be Houston, Texas, not New Orleans. New Orleans is the Crescent City. And uh, be that as it may, a little trivia in our nation's geography. But we are going to have a special guest coming by in a few minutes, Bob Burris. Bob's been a friend of mine for a long time. I'll do a special introduction when Bob gets here. Uh, We are back in Kansas City. He has the afternoon off from his concession practice that he's built. Uh, We'll go over that in the introductions. And uh, I just want to tell everybody that in addition to SoundCloud and in addition to um, Apple Podcasts, we are now coming to you on Spotify. Yes, we're moving up into the 21st century. And Google Podcasts. So I'm not sure when my production team will get all of that synced. We're going to also try to sync Facebook. We're going to also try to expand to where we can have some people call in and talk next year. That's our goal in the off-season, but we're not just going to desert you folks during the off-season. We're going to bring you up-to-date, timely podcasts dealing with the winter meetings, the GM meetings, the owners meetings, the approval of the Kansas City Royals sale for a billion dollars to John Sherman. We've got the... uh, players and the owners trying to figure out what new rules they'll agree to and if the owners were smart they would solicit the support of the players even though they will have a new players contract to uh, get ratified the next year but you know that the rosters are going to expand to 26 and we know that at least supposedly there's going to be some sort of a enforced time to throw the ball and we know that um, they're going to, over the offseason, doctor up the baseballs to try to tone them down. So it's going to be an exciting offseason, plus free agents out the wazoo. Will this year be a little better than last year with respect to some of these free agents? Because you're going to have Strasburg. You're going to have Rendon off of the Nationals. You're going to have Garrett Cole. You're going to probably have uh, a few of the guys that were Free agents like Kluber come back and try to do it again. Musakis, I think, is a free agent, although there may be mutual um, extensions if they both agree to it. And uh, we'll have a complete list of free agents. But my early season prediction for 2020 is the California Angels win the American League West. Hey, 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 can't wait till the Angels come to Kansas City and to Chicago because they will be managed by the greatest manager in baseball, none other than Joe, I love a bottle of wine, Madden. Yep, Artie Moreno finally made a good move on the management side, and he hired Joe Madden. And I suspect, although I haven't seen this, Madden's going to be able to bring in all his coaches. Madden's going to be able to make personnel decisions. Madden's not going to have Theo looking over his shoulder. Madden's not going to have to worry about launch angle. Madden's not going to have to worry about exit velocity. Madden can coach. He can get a hitting coach, a pitching coach, and the likes to deal with all sorts of talent, beginning with the MVP, repeat, Mike Trout. And the hitter and pitcher from Japan, and uh, Otani will uh, learn to pronounce his name because I am pumped about Angels baseball. I've got an Angels cap that I bought a long time ago. I'm bringing that out of retirement because I am an Angels fan unless and until the Royals make some moves uh, to get some good players and a good manager. If they get Mike Matheny 
and build a statue for Ned Yost, I'm out of here. I mean, I'm out of here. Giving him one year, renew the season tickets. My guys are all in. Probably do the same with the Cubs as much as I moan and groan. But that's the way it goes in the baseball world. So we're not going to have to just listen to me for the next 25, 30, 45 minutes, however long Bob and I go. We're going to get to listen to Bob and me. It's going to be a great show. Looking forward to it. And some news on the uh, sponsor front. We may be close to inking a deal with a sponsor. Yeah. Then we need to expand. We need to move up our sophistication on our production crew, although my production manager is awesome, Tyler. Shout out to Tyler. And we're going to have to expand our equipment, get a little sponsor going, and uh, try to grow this thing. So, I don't know. Um, What I'm going to do is when this episode... 38 is completed and the microphone synced we're ready to link it to soundcloud apple spotify and uh, google i'm going to go out send another email out attaching the link because some of you have requested that and i'll kind of try to get your input on what you think was good what you think was bad what you think would better you know should i try to get the woodchuck in wausau to talk next year because so far he doesn't talk these are the things i'm going to be dealing with but this is going to be a great podcast all the others have been great but this is going to be really great and uh we're sitting here looking at a lot of memorabilia in my in my office so my goodness gracious you're going to love it so that's it for now uh, in a few minutes, we'll be joined by Bob Burris, and uh, when we do, uh, the lighter side of baseball will take an interesting twist. So, we hope you stay tuned, and uh, we will be back in a few minutes with uh, segment two on the lighter side of baseball. All right, everybody, this is Jamie Reske in segment two. We're back on the lighter side of baseball it's a beautiful day my guest and i should be playing golf but instead we wanted to talk a little bit about baseball i kind of told you that my good friend bob burris is going to be with us and by god he's right here bob how are you doing i'm doing great jamie I'm one of those days in kansas city that uh, we should probably be, be playing golf instead of doing this but I was really excited to get here and and, uh, and have a chance to talk with you. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm really thrilled to have you here. We have a common love of baseball. We've mm-hmm. expressed it to each other really since we first mm-hmm. met. And my podcast, uh, I think people enjoy listening to me, but they really love it when I have somebody else in the, mm-hmm. in the podcast. And so this is a treat. I've built this as... Uh, you know, the, the greatest thing since my last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll try not to disappoint you here, Jamie, but I'm, 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 anytime we can talk about baseball, I'm, I just can't, can't stop. So, uh, yeah, let's go. Yeah. So, you know, feel free to keep going. And if I uh, need to interrupt you, I'll just kick you or something <laughs> under the table. But uh, as, as we talked a little bit before, and we've talked quite a bit over the years we've known each other, um, there are a couple things that I try to, weave into every podcast and of course one of them is how did you develop this love of baseball and tell me a little bit about from the from the get-go where you uh where you started this great love because you've got it yeah and that's just a really good question that i haven't really thought about in a long time but i will tell you that um that my dad uh growing up in newcastle indiana hitchhiked from Newcastle, Indiana to uh, Columbia, Missouri because he wanted to be involved in baseball and he knew he wasn't a good enough athlete. So he thought his ticket to being in baseball would be to be a sports writer. And as luck uh, would have it, uh, you know, Jim did uh, end up a sports writer uh, with the sporting news after spending time in Missouri. And of course, I know where parts of the story go because yeah. you and I have talked about it, but for everybody, and I'll cut in and add, and, mm-hmm. and Bob can talk forever because it's fascinating. Number one, I love the sporting news. It was the Bible of baseball. I love the fact that he was a sports writer and broke in. But but Jim Burris, who's Bob's father, uh, was, a tr- was a legend in minor league baseball, and I, I don't mm-hmm. say that for any other reason other than it's true. And we discovered that 
when my family bought the Omaha Royals and Jim Burris was like, I don't want to say a god in minor league baseball, but to give the listeners a little bit of flair, <laughs> yeah. this wasn't just some dad. This, this guy was really became he, he did. a big he, force in minor he, league baseball. He, he did, and that's nice of you to say that. And I believe he was executive of, minor league executive of the year many times. Uh, he also was president of the American Association and the Texas League. So... Um, so, Jamie, at, at uh, five years old, we were living in Louisville, Kentucky, and my father was the uh, secretary of the American Association, and their league office was headquartered there. And my dad took me out to my very first baseball game, and it, it, I can just remember it like yesterday. And he said, there's somebody I want uh, you to see tonight, and we were playing at the old um, Louisville Fairgrounds. And uh, he's got a funny last name, but you need to watch this guy tonight because someday he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, the first guy, the guy he's referring to was Carl Yastrzemski. And and he has his first at bat. He hit the ball off the, the center field wall. And my dad just looked at me and said, just remember who that is. Have you? Now, so I haven't thought about that, Jamie, in 50 years. What, what, but you, you know, just made me think about it. As you know. You know, as a trial lawyer and, and mm-hmm. just in my own life, I interrupt people, I jump around, I sometimes come back to stuff, I sometimes don't. And I know you can keep your train of thought when we get back to mm-hmm. whatever my sporadic uh, interruption is, but have you seen his grandson, Mike Yastrzemski, I did. I was, in, I was in Denver this year, happened to be at the Coors Field, and... If I'm not mistaken, he had only had two or three games in the big leagues, and he homered that night. And uh, just the way he ran around the bases, you you thought it was Carl. Yeah, and, uh, that's cool. Yeah, it I was. It him. was. Oh yeah, it was just great. I but hope he uh, has a, I hope he succeeds. Oh, I do too, Jamie. And I think he did hit a bunch of doubles and had a good year. Anyway, after seeing Yastrzemski do that, and I remember uh, thinking, "Gosh, my dad's a prophet." Um, it wasn't. <laughs> long after that that we were watching a New York Yankees baseball game and uh, you know the Yankees were on every week and game of the week and Hank Bauer who grew up here in Kansas City uh, came up to the plate I didn't know Hank Bauer from anybody and he said okay Hank hit one down the left field line and I'll be got the next pitch Bauer hits the ball out of the park down the left field line. The great thing about podcasts you can swear every now and and I just (laughs) couldn't believe it but but at that point, because my dad was such was in baseball and he loved the Yankees because Joe DiMaggio was his favorite player, and uh, Lefty Gomez was a great friend of Jim's as well. But because my dad had worked in the American Association, every year they had a uh, mystery play mystery guest, and that mystery guest sometimes was Dizzy Dean. It might have been. Uh, Lefty Gomez, it was ever, but my, that was my dad's job was to bring in the guest speaker. So we got to know all these people. In fact, a little sidebar: my dad also rode on trains with Babe Ruth, which wow. I and I've got a picture that you've seen of my dad and the Babe uh, uh, in the old St. Louis. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the hotel was in St. Louis, but it's a very famous one. But anyway, um, I became really, really uh, enamored with Mickey Mantle. And, you and a lot of other kids. Yes. So and your age at this point? These... Age is probably about 9 or 10. Okay. And, so um, you were pretty much getting hooked on baseball. Mm-hmm. As, as a ma- matter of fact, it was 10 because on June 6th of 1961, my dad woke me up at an ungodly hour and said, Bob, we have to go to New York today because at this point in time, my dad had been hired away. The American Association folded due to expansion. Expansion took all the teams, and therefore Jim became a special assistant to the commissioner of baseball, Ford Frick. And he says, Mr. Frick wants to see me in New York today, and I'm going to take you to see the Yankees tonight. Well, it didn't take crew-cutted Bobby Burris long to get out of the bed and get going, and we flew to New York City on June 6, 19—no, June 7, 1961— we got off. I'll never forget, you know, the um, the plane ride in, the skyscrapers, just oh, yeah. everything that you can imagine about New York City. And I was just so enamored with with that. And I, we got off the train, the plane. We got on a train. We got in a cab. Uh, we met with the commissioner, and I remember so well that the commissioner's office was so big. 
But I didn't care. I just wanted my dad to get out of there so we could get to Yankee Stadium and see batting practice. I mean, what a what a great way to uh, mm-hmm. get get an intro mm-hmm. into baseball as mm-hmm. opposed to. And I thought I had a great time with my dad. We'd go down oh, to Comiskey yeah. Park. But you did. And uh, you know, I'd I'd pay to get in, and I'd pay mm-hmm. for my popcorn. But <laughs> you had a little different uh, experience. I which did. Is pretty cool. I did. But Jamie, I. I think the story gets just a tiny bit better because um, on that day, Ralph Houck was the manager of the New York Yankees, and Houck had managed in Denver because the Denver Bears of the American Association were the AAA farm club of the Yankees. So because we lived in Denver and Jim was president of that league, we had this uh, affiliation with Ralph Houck. So Houck put us in the box right outside of the Yankee Stadium or the Yankees dugout on first base, right opposite the bat rack. So for six or seven innings, I see Richardson, Kubek, Maris, Mantle, uh, Scourin, Bauer, you know, the whole lineup, oh, yeah. uh, Hector, Hector uh, Lopez, Elston Howard, all of them go This uh, is up. the year after. 19, no, this is 61 when they hit them all. After Yeah, yes, the year after, yes, which broke my heart. So I love now we're in the seventh inning, and uh, Mantle has already come out and winked at me. So I know that Hauk has told him of my affection. Yeah. And I remember Mickey striking out three times, and I'm crying. And my dad said to me, Bob, why are you crying? I said, because I just feel so bad for Mickey. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'm praying that somehow, some way, that Mickey can get one lasted bat. And he was the fourth hitter in the eighth inning. Let me guess. He comes up to the plate. And uh, thank God for John Blanchard, who got a base hit. And Mantle uh, got hit before Mantle. But that allowed Mantle to get up to the plate with uh, a man on. And uh, on a one-ball, one-strike count, the Mick, batting from the left side of the plate, crushed a ball in the right center field. Historic year. I mean, it the was year, the year that, that Maris had Maris all the home runs, Mantle, mm-hmm. and the year that Mantle had to shut it down yeah. early with 54 yeah. home runs or something, yeah. and then Maris went on to mm-hmm. hit the asterisk 61. That's right, Jamie. Which, your memory's exactly right. Which is still, in my opinion, the record. The record. Yeah, <laughs> you and I are very much the, on the same page the, as that. Uh, the, yeah, the folks that yeah. have hit more home runs are yeah. going to be banned for life uh, for the Hall of Fame. But that's cool. So, so it, how, it was. So it was right then that I knew. That somehow, some way, I wanted to be part of this. Now, being a player was was what I wanted to do, but it was I can't tell you if it was the green grass, whether it was the smell of the hot dogs and popcorn and being cooked, or was it the raucous New York crowd? I don't know what it is, or was it the you know the the asymmetrical the, beauty the, of the, the view Stadium. of Yankee Stadium or the I monuments? Know. I don't know what it was, Jamie, but it was at that point I knew. I wanted to be in baseball. Yeah, didn't know how, but I knew at that point in time. And our to be generation, and you're a year younger than me, our generation. That's how you were introduced to baseball. It mm-hmm. wasn't on video games. It wasn't too much of, uh, you know, oversaturated games on on different uh, networks. It was if you go to the game. For mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. I mean, you you hit you hit a nerve that is a happy nerve. Mm-hmm. It's the to me, it's a green grass. And mm-hmm. the concessions, mm-hmm. the guys selling the concessions. And the I forgot deal. to mention the smell of cigars. Yeah. Because remember, oh, they yeah. could smoke in there. You it bet. was the cigar smoke, the smell of popcorn and hot dogs. and. Oh, I mean, we're going to drive just, anybody listening just, crazy. But yeah. the same thing at Old Comiskey Park, mm-hmm. before my good friend Mr. Reinsdorf mm-hmm. tore it down, the – you could go there, and and it was the the it was like the Chicago Stadium, like mm-hmm. all the old facades. Mm-hmm. You could smell the food that had been cooked mm-hmm. over the years. You could smell the cigars. <laughs> you you know mm-hmm. you could smell the beer that was spilled, and it was just different. The guys had flannel uniforms. <laughs> it just was cool. It was. And it was just so different. You wonder. Today. I mean, my grandkids like baseball but they like soccer and they like mm-hmm. to do this and that um but with me also um like you i wanted to play baseball more mm-hmm. than anything i mean mm-hmm. i wanted to be a you mm-hmm. know a major league baseball player it's a great great way to 
Mm-hmm. To spend the, the summer, <laughs> little you know, little did I know I couldn't hit a curveball. Well, little did I know, and that, that 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 the next step for me then was my dad said to me that summer. He said, "Now, now, Bob, you if you want to play this game, you need to learn to switch hit like Mickey." So I want you to promise me that you will only bat left-handed <laughs> the next this this next summer. And so I went from being probably the best player on the team, best hitter on the team, to the worst hitter. That's but great. I but I kept I kept the promise and and did it. And uh, boy, do I wish I had stayed with that because the uh, the failure of me not being able to hit the curveball, uh, I do think cost me a chance because I. I'd had so much, uh, so much experience fielding on the diamond. I was, you know, a bat boy, a ball boy. I was always out there, right. and I had people like Billy Martin teach me how to make the pl- play at second base and, and the double play. So I just, but if I could hit that curveball, but I never could. Yeah, and never could. Obviously, if you're, uh, you know, in the left side, hitting against a right-handed pitcher, huge advantage. You know, it it, it certainly mm-hmm. was when we grew up. Now with the splitters and cutters, and four seamers and two seamers yeah. and things that I. I hear, but I have no idea. So, the family contact and your mm-hmm. your dad's, uh, you know, tremendous uh, leadership with you was, you know, basically got you going. Mm-hmm. And he then, did. He did. And then yeah. he stayed with it, and he not only introduced you, but he nurtured your love of baseball. At least that's what it sounds like. He and did. He did. He gave he, you plenty of opportunities oh, yeah. that were so yeah. cool, because the franchise that that he owned. Mm-hmm. Um, was the Denver franchise and the American Association. And, you know, for anybody familiar with minor league baseball now, when your dad was involved, it was different. He actually went out and found players. He went out and picked Mm -hmm. managers. He had an input and contact with whoever had his, what we call the player development contract, Mm -hmm. the the legal binding of you to your major league affiliate. And with Mm -hmm. AAA, there was only one per team, so you were assured if you had a AAA franchise, you know, even though they rotated around from time to time, as I know Denver did, you still were sure you're going to have a you're going to have uh, 140 or whatever games to put on that 70 mm-hmm. and 70. Mm-hmm. You knew you're going to have a team. You knew you were going to have a team, and, and, and Jim a Jim deal. Jim did have uh, Jim meaning my dad did have. Um, an unusual um, credibility with the big league, big league ownership, and I don't know any general manager at any level in in the minor leagues that could tell the major leagues what to do. Yeah. And to your point, several times when we'd be late in the year and we'd have injuries, or they'd call up all of our players in September, um, we uh, Jim would go out and sign a local player to play and. Of course, that local player would bring three or four hundred people to watch him play. But I mean, nine times out of ten, when Jim did that, the, the guy produced, and it and it, it, it was so different, so yeah. different than that. Well, the good old days, Jamie. Oh, those are great. And one of uh, interesting in a lot of different ways, and one of the uh, reasons that I started doing these podcasts and I've communicated that to Bob was a f- mutual friend of ours, Dave Nelson. Mm-hmm. Ironically, Bob knew Dave long before me, but Dave has a story because mm-hmm. uh, when he got done with some of his military duties, uh, the I believe the Indians sent him back to AAA, which was at, the, at that time the Denver affiliate maybe and he talked no, it about was, no it was the washington senators oh the senators it? yeah the washington right. senators and he didn't right. like the, the manager sat him after he uh, i don't know if you guys were in the playoffs and nelly god bless him god, i'm uh, trying to remember who that was told this story but he was came back had a great game and then sat for the rest of the you know time of the playoffs which he couldn't and i remember out. jim was so upset about that now as and this isn't to um, this. I'm not just saying this. Dave Nelson was my very favorite Denver Bear. Yeah. And I will tell you also that my four sisters had a major crush on Dave Nelson as well. Yeah, yeah. they weren't alone. I no, guess, no, no, they weren't alone. Following Dave's he, he wasn't alone. Let's let's talk a little bit about Dave because mm-hmm. it's one of you know my favorite mm-hmm. things to talk about. And that's about. by the way, it's how we know each other. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. true. You might elaborate a little bit on that. Well, as as I said a moment ago, he was my favorite Denver Bear, and I was living in Sarasota, Florida, and, and now at this point in time working in the golf business. But I really set out to find Dave Nelson. I had no idea where he was. I knew he he, 
He'd been a, a coach for many ball clubs, but little did I know that he was living right under my nose in Sarasota, Florida, and I called him, and I, we, we had an appointment, we met, and one of the last things uh, Dave told me was, you probably won't ever meet this guy because he plays at another golf course, played Deer Creek, and I play at the Nicholas Golf Club, but he's my best friend. His name is Jamie Uretsky. Well, I just kind of filed that as I would never meet this person. And uh, six months later, Jamie and I were sitting at the opening event at uh, the Nicholas Club at Lionsgate, and I heard you talking about somebody named Nellie, and it just hit me like an epiphany. This is who Dave Nelson was talking about. And, uh, and you had just joined the club, right? Yeah. And, uh, is that accurate? Yeah, no, yeah. that's totally accurate and, and totally uh, bizarre. And, and I'll tell you what, that was a blessing for me to uh, to connect Dave and you and me. And, and uh, Oh, we've shared so many Dave it, Nelson it, stories. It and, of course, when Dave was living, mm -hmm. we got together a few times, the three of us. And Dave's such mm -hmm. a... Uh, uh, an important part of my life and an important part of a lot of people's mm -hmm. lives but uh, it was so funny because when when people talk about Dave I'll you know and Bob's name comes up I always say you know he knew Nellie a long time before I did <laughs> and uh, you know he had a lot of respect for your dad like you know pretty much anybody that came in contact with him but it was so f interesting to me because when you all got out of the American Association which was viable uh, for quite a while. It got over the growing pains of expansion. Uh, my family bought the Omaha Royals at the same time, I believe, that your uh, family or your dad mm -hmm. sold to the DQs. Was that the... It, it was, uh, yes, yes, a 1984... And that's not Dairy Queen. It's this guy that bought mm -hmm. the uh, Denver franchise right, for somebody. Right, right. Um, the Phipps family was the was was the was the principal owner of the Denver Bears and the Denver Broncos, and they had brought my father in at one point in time to run both operations. Both, I think my dad was the first person in sports to run two professional franchises at the same time. And but they then um, brought Jim in as a partner, so we were never the principal owners of either one of those. But Jamie, we ran it like we, it was because yeah. the Phipps family just. Let him do. Let him do it. Well, that was the time. Uh, and they, so '84 was our last year. So I just missed you. Right. We came in in '85, mm -hmm. and then that yeah. was when Buffalo and That's Denver right. and a few other teams were vying for major the league, major, major league, league franchise mm -hmm. in Denver. Ultimately, got it. DQ went, took the team to New Orleans. Right. John DQ was uh, just a, a local Denver man and uh, had owned a lot of buildings. Uh, kind of a Nobody kind of knew him, but he had a lot of money. And John came in and bought the uh, the Bears. Immediately changed the name to Zephyrs, which was very unpopular decision. And um, so instead of drawing six hundred thousand that we drew, he drew like two hundred thousand. And that's how bad the name change went over with the people there. Tell me about mm -hmm. you know how how you were involved at that stage with the ball club mm -hmm. and how you have such a good grasp of the. Uh, uh, numbers you put fannies in the seats, as we used to say. Sure. Well, at that point in time, uh, Jim was the general manager, but I was the associate general manager, and Jim had given me for five or six years total control over the business side of the operation. Jim only wanted to work with the big league club and players, and he, he traveled. Uh, I don't think any other general manager in AAA traveled on the team with the team on the road, and and uh, he always felt the team played better when he was watching them, and yeah. he knew that. They also he also knew that the players knew that, that he cared about them. The reason I'm laughing yeah. is our general manager couldn't have been any more different. I mean, <laughs> probably he, not. He he was he was, uh, was that, an interesting guy. Was that still Bill Gorman? Yeah, Bill okay. Gorman, great guy. But Jim, yeah, and and he, he uh, it was oh geez, it was just it was just a great opportunity for me because you know having read Vecas and Rec, right? I had a chance to do any kind of promotion I wanted to do. I had seventy-five thousand seats to do it in. Yeah, yeah, in a big crowd. Big so, crowds, so, big ballpark so, where the so, yeah, yeah, yeah we played in the same place, and I'll we led the minor leagues in attendance for almost all the years that we were involved, and a lot of that was because we had the big stadium. But again, it works against you too because there's always a seat available, and right. you know, so you might have a thousand people and. 
but yet we did have 65,666 on a fireworks night. That's the all-time record in minor league baseball, and I doubt it'll be broken because there's no stadium bigger than no. that that anybody in minor league baseball. No, and plays. that you know I laughed because and that well, was paid, Jamie. Paid. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is which is nice. I I never I was laughing because Bill Gorman, our general manager, would mm-hmm. whenever I was around or or my uncle was around, he'd announce the attendance every night. You know, like in the seventh inning, mm-hmm. tonight's attendance. Whatever it was, I laughed because I'm not quite sure how accurate minor league baseball's attendance was. And there wasn't yeah. the computer effect. You didn't have the turnstiles other than breaking off a ticket. Didn't have a barcode. Didn't right. have any of this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I know you actually had. Well, here's what I know. I know that there. on that particular night, people were scalping tickets to a minor league baseball game to see the fireworks. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it's, there's always something. In, in, at least in my life, that's always genders up another story. But I'd say in my experience with the with the Omaha Royals, mm-hmm. you know, we got any money we made was really off of we got forty eight percent of the concessions from the College World Series. Mm-hmm. One or two years we might have made a little money. One or two years we might have lost a little money. And then I say we, my uncle, and then mm-hmm. the rest we broke even. But one of our big a proponents, great guy, was Andy Anderson, who was the uh, um, owner or the editor in the, those days, I think the owner of the Omaha World Herald. And he would joint venture big events, the Beach Boys. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all have the same, mm-hmm. the kissing band at the exploding. We we all. Then Max Patkin. <laughs> Max Patkin. <laughs> My kids just brought a picture autographed to me by Max Patkin oh, that I have in the other room. But. You know, and we'd do that in the winter meetings, which was mm-hmm. fun. It was minor league baseball. Was, but going back to Andy Anderson and my uncle and the fireworks, mm-hmm. it was we had the guys that put on the bicentennial fireworks in New York. The Italian family mm-hmm. would come out. They were the most spectacular fireworks I had ever seen. But unlike your experience where people were scalping tickets to get in, the folks in Omaha figured – I don't have to go to the ball game. I just go to Rosenblatt parking lot, <laughs> maybe hang at the zoo mm-hmm. and see the fireworks. And so my uncle, you know, he's God. He would, he would bug me about a lot of fun things in weird times of the night. And uh, but one of them was, how do we make money? How can't we charge everybody outside the ballpark? Why? You know, you know, oh, Jamie. The uh, we've talked about this before, but um, the working agreement, which is also you referred to it earlier in this conversation as the uh, uh, player development contract. We always just call it the working agreement, which is the working agreement between the, your parent club and the AAA club. And I don't think anybody had had one better than us. But again, that was Jim being able to drive that hard bargain. We had the good ballpark. We had the a lot of seats. And we had place, good lights. I know ours was yeah. better on one front. Yeah. We paid sixteen hundred a year for utilities. No, you you have a you had a better deal that way. I think we had a better deal from the big league club paying almost all of our salaries. Right. But you by far had a better lease lease oh, we than had, we had with because, the city. Because the city we mm-hmm. bought it. Mm-hmm. We bought when we bought the franchise. We bought the contract that right. hadn't run out, and when it was negotiated, the city was doing anything they could to keep the Royals there. Right. So we got mm-hmm. we were the beneficiary of that mm-hmm. sweet deal. But mm-hmm. now, from um, I can't remember who was telling me this, but they're all they're all the same now. There's no there is there's the, you're no right. There's a standard working agreement now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably, pays, probably our fault because yeah. ours was so good. Well, we paid. Mm-hmm. I and know, we had the bats and the balls, and, mm-hmm. and we had a batting cage. And other than that, mm-hmm. we didn't have diddly. Mm-mm. And yet the franchises were selling for a lot. But now, oh, oh my God, somebody told me that the, the Royals this last go-around sold for $28 million. I mean, That's a lot of money. No, the Royals just— I mean, the— uh, Are you talking about the AAA ball club? The AAA oh, team. Oh, I, I didn't know that, but I just I I know that the values have gone— Exponentially from what yeah. we what, what we sold it for, you know, I know I, that. I used to tell people it was about ten percent of what a major league team's value mm-hmm. was, but not anymore. Not anymore. I no. mean, mm-hmm. with the Royals selling for a billion dollars, no, no, a lot of money. There's just a lot of people out there that want to want to own a baseball franchise still. And we don't have enough time on this podcast, but we'll do another one because mm-hmm. there's, 
you know, uh, you not only were involved in the business aspects, but at times you were uh, uh, enlisted by some to steal signals, to do all sorts of weird things in the yeah, ballpark yeah, that yeah. you and I have visited about, which is just great. Well, if you want me to tell that story, it'll, it'll take just a couple minutes. Great. In 1968, yeah. Jamie. There's really no time constraint. I was just kidding. Okay. In 1968, we are a struggling ball club as the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. And Calvin Griffith, owner of the Twins, had promised my father that by signing that agreement with them that he would provide us a good ball club. Well, we lost our 21 of our first 23 games. And Jim Burris called Calvin Griffith and said, Calvin, you've given me a, a shitty ball club and uh, at least fire the manager or do something. But we make our living here by drawing people to play. And, and I don't give a hoot about developing. I, I, I want to teach these kids how to win. Yeah. And uh, Griffith uh, astutely said, well, who do you want? And my dad said, well, I want your third base coach, Billy Martin. And Griffith said, Billy can't manage himself. How can I put him in charge of 25 other kids Pretty good observation. that are 20 years old? Yeah, Calvin was right, and he'll never come. Well, Jim persuaded Calvin to uh, talk to Billy, and the next thing I know, Billy Martin is living in our house in Lakewood, Colorado, because there's only about you know two two or three months of the season left, but uh, we stole home 19 times between that time and the end of the year. Uh, the Bears were 30 games over 500 with Martin as a manager. And one night, as I was running, one of my duties was to sweep the ballpark in the morning, work in the ticket office, then till five o'clock and then climb a 150-foot ladder in left field to do all the ball strikes and outs. Well, one night I came home and I said to Billy, because he was living in our house, after he had taught me and my brother how to hit the speed bag, because Martin knew a little bit about that, right. boxing. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, I can see the catcher signs. Well, Martin's eyes got <clears> as big <throat> as saucers because anytime he could get an edge on anyone, he was all for it. And he said, oh, this is great, Bob. Tulsa's coming in town tomorrow. Warren Spahn's our manager. He's an old friend of mine. When you know that the pitch is going to be a fastball, flip the little H for the hit sign. If you know it's a curveball, hit the E. A little. And so the next three games, we won. We beat the Tulsa Oilers by football <laughs> scores, and Spahn just cannot figure out how Martin has the signs. <laughs> and and uh, so finally Were Spahn – Were you using binoculars? Yes, I had binoculars okay. right there, but it was a perfect view, Jamie – from to the catcher's signs oh, and I knew enough about baseball at that point it wasn't as complicated that I had the signs so on the fourth night uh Jerry White was a, was our hitter and we were with and he was up to bat and uh I I tell him to watch for the curveball well Spawn had changed the signs White hung and hung the ball never curved hit him in the helmet <laughs> Billy kind of gave me the let's cut, call this off sign but we were ahead eight to nothing oh, so man. it didn't make any difference That's so great. we won four games and uh I always kiddingly say it probably doesn't say a lot about my integrity but I think everything's in fair in baseball and in love. You Absolutely. Know? And, and uh, you know, stealing signs is part of baseball. It is now, part of baseball. The uh, you know they claim that Bobby Thompson you know had the uh, had the pitch uh, from the uh, from the uh, and, and maybe he did. Game shot heard around the world. You still got to hit it. You but, still got to hit it. But um, mm -hmm. you know, and there's been a lot of uh, tipping the pitches this year. The Atlanta Braves guy who gave up ten runs in the really mm -hmm. the only inning the Cardinals scored any mm -hmm. runs. Mm -hmm was when this guy was supposedly tipping his pitches. And, you know, they had a graphic on TV that showed when his hands, he'd, he'd come to a set position with a fastball about four inches above where he'd come to a set position with a curve. And allegedly that's what the tip was. Now, you know, who knows? You still have to hit a 95 to 100 mile an hour fastball, but but nobody's ever made but 10 nobody, runs in a in the first inning right. without hitting a home run. Well, they had to then, know something, Jamie. And then last night, the Nationals get seven runs in the first inning off of the Cardinals, off yeah. of the world's slowest pitcher. You know, Darvish is slow. Dakota Hudson, oh my God, they need a shot clock. 
like basketball, mm -hmm. they need a clock. So that when you the pitcher gets the ball back from the catcher, he has to deliver the ball in 30 seconds or a buzzer goes off. And I guarantee the buzzer will never go off because these guys will get the idea pretty quickly, get the ball, throw the ball, like Burley would do. And like when mm -hmm. we were growing up, mm -hmm. I looked back at the 59 White Sox box score for the World Series, two hours and ten minutes. Mm -hmm. boom, Bob, Bob boom. Gibson will get you out in less than two hours so, from what I remember. Yeah, and what do you think Gibby do with these guys that are doing all this oh. hocus-pocus on the field? They get to the, you know, the, the shark. They're doing the shark thing. <laughs> Gibby... It wouldn't take two seconds to drill a guy in the head. He wouldn't give a no, hoot. No, he, no, he, he, he owned that plate. There was some yeah. game I watched. Mm -hmm. Guys hit three home runs off of this one pitcher. Oh, it was, um, it was the guy, the kid that Tampa Bay traded to Pittsburgh in exchange for half of the Tampa Bay team that went to the playoffs this year. Chris Archer. Chris Archer. Gave up. Pitcher. One guy hit three home runs. And and he was still in the game, and he never didn't even brush him back. Ooh. Well, that's world. a different world than you and I grew up in, because uh, boy, I mean, I, that unwritten rule of they're, they're going to get get well, us. Is, the, uh, the joke was that if Early Wynn was true. facing his kid in a father son game, he'd throw the he'd brush the kid back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah, those those are fun. We got yeah. so many good memories. Boy, we do. We so do so much good. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Um, shift gears a little bit about some of the memorabilia that um, mm. that you have uh, you know seen and collected mm -hmm. and gotten and uh, mm -hmm. I know of some of it but I mean it's not like I go and I pay a lot of money to get autographs mm -hmm. and then Dave would get me a lot of bats mm -hmm. I got Pujols mm -hmm. I got Bo Jackson I got I got a fair collection of Hall of Fame bats you and do. all that good stuff but you have unique stuff that's so unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I, Talk I, it, about the it. audience uh, can't see what I'm looking at right now, but I'm looking at Jamie's shrine in his an office full of things, and I am a piker compared to you, what you have. But again, we were not autograph seekers or collectors, and it wasn't at all. cool back then. No, it wasn't. And uh, Jamie, uh, I don't know the if you know the story, uh, but Cy Berger. Uh, Runt, who was the top guy at Topps Chewing Gum. And a good friend of Dave's. And a good friend of my dad's. And he sent us boxes and boxes of baseball cards that I have no idea where they are anymore. It's killing but, me. But it's, it is killing me. And uh, uh, I remember the stacks of the pink bubble gum that was just, I mean, it just kept the birth kids you know, at the dentist. Like Trident. Oh, if you go get Trident bubble gum now, <laughs> it's the exact same flavor. Oh, my goodness. Of Tops. And in fact, I've got a <laughs> Tops unopened 1984 there that if you and I wanted to share, I'm not going to open it. No, we're it not going to open it. It would be hard. Mm -hmm. But God, don't you miss those? I do, but but I, I wish I had been a collector um, because uh, there was no way that I wouldn't have had all these things. But I do have uh, uh, I do have Tony Larusa's uh, uh, jersey when he managed the White Sox, and and it's it's the Bill Veck was the, was the owner of the White Sox. They had these big collared, big long collared, yeah, the black and white. Yes, the black and white, and uh, I do have that signed. I have uh, I have I have Whitey Ford's uh, one of Whitey Ford's New York Yankees uniforms, um, but I. Now, I the, don't, fun, the one, and I've, mm -hmm. I've been around you when you've opened up some of these boxes from your, mm -hmm. from your dad's uh, collection, but, and I don't know if you still have it, and I've told this story mm -hmm. to a lot of people because mm -hmm. Larusa fired Nelly, so mm -hmm. the three managers that have fired Dave, Hargrove, uh, Yost, and, and Larusa are not my favorites, and I take any opportunity to <laughs> try to figure out something not nice to say. <laughs> but... That's you fair. showed me this, and Larissa was an attorney, and he wrote to your dad on legal mm -hmm. pages, and uh, what was he writing about? Well, uh, Tony was a ball player for us uh, when we were affiliated with the White Sox, and he was a ball player for us, but he went six for six against us, uh, against us the year before, and then now all of a sudden he's on our team. But my dad just always felt that Tony had a lot of leadership ability. And Jim was always partial to those guys that are middle infielders and catchers, center fielders that are, that are, that are, that are, that, you know, that are in the game every pitch. Anyway, um, Tony um, clerked at the Phipps family's uh, law firm that summer. And he, um, uh, to get his law degree. And then um, 
Jim wrote a letter to, um, I think, to Roland Hemond of the White Sox and One said, of "My favorite all-time yep, human beings. Mine too." And said, and he's still, "said he's I, still I wish, around. I wish, I mean, yes, I wish you'd consider this guy as a manager." So Tony got the job at Knoxville and wrote my dad a letter and said, "Yeah, I'd never be here if it wasn't for you and yeah. all that." And when Larusa was in town a couple of years ago promoting his book, I did go downtown and I did see him and I told him who I was and and he said, "Well, Bob, you need to look at." look at look at this and he looked and it was page 98 and he referred to a tactic that jim used that tony employed as a big league manager and it was it's coincidental that we're talking about this because my dad said to our ball club any month that we had a winning record he would take them to a place called coniglia's in omaha oh, Nebraska. Yeah. Great steak place. and we went to omaha four times a year so the players really, really, really in, were incentivized, and Larusa employed that principle in the big leagues. So dark. that's another thing that that's cool. that, that somebody took from the big league. Tony was very proud to show me that he had that he that he had done that and written about it and given Jim the credit. So that was nice. No, my uncle loved to eat, and that was one of the four or five and places not there anymore. we go. I don't think it is, but it seems to me part of it was down it was. down the stairs. There and were two or three a, of them, though, I think. And they had yeah. a private place where the teams could be yeah. ushered so that the public wasn't hanging out with them. Jamie, uh, our players in that year were making $11 meal money yeah. a day. So to be taken out to a big Italian restaurant no was a big deal to yeah. them. I mean, we made more at SMU on the yeah. baseball team. <laughs> I bet you did. I mean, of course, yeah. SMU had SMU, a lot of money well, to throw around. Uh -huh. but $11 I can, dollars uh, yeah, a day was the meal money. Mm -hmm. I negotiated so many minor league contracts, and it was mm -hmm. like I argued with Dave Dombrowski year after year mm -hmm. on these minor league guys. And then Dave, as we all know, became... Uh, you know, general manager with the White Sox, the Expos, the Marlins, and the Red Sox recently fired for mm -hmm. he ought to have been promoted for not signing Kimbrel. But um, well, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Dave, Dave will get. He will. Yeah, but, but you know, we argued over between five hundred and five fifty for a double A. You know, yeah. uh, for a good kid, for a prospect, yeah. and they, they just didn't make the money. So mm -hmm. nights out great idea what a mm -hmm. what a treat for those guys because they appreciated that they did and and and, and they, without a doubt they played harder yeah they just did they just did very yeah. cool yeah so let's mm -hmm. and we'll do like i'm sure everybody can pretty well figure out we could do this all day and all <laughs> night and we'll definitely do it again because i'm having a blast but let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now because uh <laughs> okay you know when you know, two or three years ago, you and I played golf during the day because mm -hmm. neither of us had much to do. Right. And um, your life, and you always found stuff to do. You always, you're mm -hmm. very entrepreneurial. That's the right word. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from whatever it is you're doing. But now um, you came mm -hmm. up with uh, an idea and, and, you know, well, I copied an idea. Going. I copied an idea, and that um, that was being done in Denver. And my fraternity brother, Mike Love, uh, and his uh, high school friend, uh, Glory Daddy Otis, had uh, come up with an idea to um, put uh, strawberries and bananas and brownies on a stick, on a wooden stick, and drizzle it with chocolate. And Mike had told me that they'd been doing this at Coors Field for two or three years, but it just never sunk in that it was nothing more than a, uh, you know, a, a corn dog, which I was wrong. But so I went out there. This is four years ago. I went out to to Denver and saw this product, and I could not believe that I'd never and I'd never seen anything like this in my entire career. Well, yeah, it's and I said popcorn and hot dogs. Yeah, that that was my life, and. Uh, I said, we got to do this in Kansas City. So um, I talked to her, and we worked out an agreement to uh, sell me a, I guess, the only franchise that's out there. So now I sell the berry kebabs here in Kansas City to virtually every sporting event that's here. And uh, I, I joke that uh, from being part owner to uh, from an NFL and professional baseball team to putting fruit on a stick i've really come a long ways but well, but jamie it's fun and it's not um it's it's not alcohol it's not tobacco it's 
it's it's a, a product that is a little healthier than most of the yeah. other products that are sold at a ballpark, and uh, it it's makes grown. kids happy. Yeah, I oh mean, it's my gosh! Grown in, oh yeah, in, uh, the, I've sold the, over a million of them now. Yeah, in uh, in four years. That's spectacular. <laughs> so, and you have a, a a long line, a good part of the game, and and mm-hmm. you had a line when the team was good, and the line's probably longer with the team being pathetic, <laughs> but. It's a credit. No, I well, thanks. I laugh about it because I call them Bob Kebabs. <laughs> but, you know, when you first started, you had, and I know you still do, you had vendors going out uh-huh. under the, in the stands. And, you know, early on, nobody had any gloves on. These guys were kind of picking up the strawberry and handing it to me. Yeah. You corrected that probably yeah. before the seventh <laughs> inning of the first game. Uh-huh. Uh, and I you, did. And, and the I uh, the make, health department had a, had a hand in that. There is no st- – and I've been to mm-hmm. a lot of stadiums. There mm-hmm. is no ballpark in america that has worse service than our ballpark in kansas city except and maybe there's one or two other vendors out there that that are independent and do it like you do but uh you do it the right way you do it attentively it's not even a close call and i'm not kissing your butt because you're sitting here i remember telling you sometime within the last month before the baseball season ended that the Royals ought to hire you to run their concessions. Um, <laughs> well, you know, and that's, nice of you. you know, but, and, and I love the, the, the subject of concessions. Not only do I think that's why I like baseball because mm-hmm. of the crummy food I had at Comiskey Park when I was growing up, but the guys at sports service mm-hmm. that did our uh, concessions in Omaha are the best and they're so good mm-hmm. and Detroit has them and Reinsdorf has them for part of his mm-hmm. for the for the bowl down below and mm-hmm. then he has Levy mm-hmm. who's taken over most of the suites in the country and I work with Levy too by the way okay mm-hmm. yes yeah, so yeah they're, they're very good very good and best they're very best good college world but, series but Jamie I think what you're saying yes that's them but Jamie you're, what you're saying I think is and you agree with me is that the concessions area is not glamorous but it's a huge part of the show huge part they of the show but a lot of people that. don't get that no 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 they don't get that they don't get that but the, you sure know it when when you see it done better don't you well and it's changed so much from when you and i were mm-hmm. were a, a kid and i didn't bring them to kansas city but there's a for a long time at wrigley field and Sox park and everywhere else whether you have season tickets or you go to a lot of games, you don't see the same fans. Now, when the Cubs mm-hmm. made their run to the World Series, yeah. more and more people showed up at the same time. For years, the only guy that I ever saw the same was Lloyd, the beer guy. <laughs> and Lloyd has become a good friend, and at least That's in the baseball great. games. And he came out with two books. He wrote two friggin' books, and they're mostly pictures, and – God love them. They're not the greatest production, but they're on Amazon. And once the vendors of Wrigley going back to the 70s when he started, when he's been peddling wow. product at the two ballparks forever. And, it, and that's the, incredible. And the, the, the interesting thing is it shows him as a young man uh-huh. and then now, and he always wears shorts. He always wears one black sock, one white sock. I don't know why. He's never explained it to me. Has a house in Florida in the winter, so he's done pretty he's done well. Okay. And he is a constant. And my point being, convoluted as it is, I I could imitate the guys at Comiskey Park that were selling popcorn, the beer vendors, the hot dog guys. They were colorful. Now, not so much. Mm-hmm. We had a. a, a- it's a, a guy that, you know how you'll hear at Yankee Stadium and a lot of places now, the Deo, all of a sudden someone yeah, said Deo. Right. We had a beer vendor in Denver, and he would call, he would call out to the pitcher, Ragarm, and we named the vendor Ragarm. Oh, same great. story, same story. His name was Willie, but he but he was he was the fixture, and people would sit in the section just – yeah. Where he was, people at the box office would ask us, "Well, where's Ragarm?" What, what the... Isn't that great? <laughs> it was just great. No, no, it was no. Just great. I can remember the the popcorn. Yeah, they used to sell mm-hmm. popcorn in what looked like a megaphone, a mini mm-hmm. megaphone. We had that. And so the people would eat it, and then the little kids like me would, you know, and I was an obnoxious, screaming kid. <laughs> uh, I was into it. I was, you know, 
I pity the people sitting next to me. But back then, the dads, everybody was sitting around smoking cigars mm-hmm. and having a good old time. So they didn't mind if some little brat was yelling and screaming. Mm. Now it's kind of like at Royals games, they have to tell you when to clap. You know, we could go all into what's changed around mm-hmm. the. Mm-hmm. But I've always thought the Royals were one of the worst teams at choreographing the game on the field between the music, the scoreboard. They've got a beautiful scoreboard. They don't show hardly any replays. You go to Wrigley, every ball in play is replayed on the big video screen. Wow. Every. In every replay, they show every angle that the umps are looking at in New York. Oh, wow. It's so cool. No, we don't get that here. We don't get it here at all. And, you know, the Royals tried to say that the league rules prohibit it. That's baloney. You know, it's just just, I did not not know that. So. What are your play? You got the College World Series now. I do. Done? I have the College World Series. I've done that three years now. Uh, that number four will be up here uh, this next June, I guess. Um, boy, is that fun! Yeah, and that's funny. And and I love Omaha. See now, if the listening audience grows, I'm going to hit Bob up to try to be a sponsor with Barry Kabaz, mm-hmm. man, and to be a sponsor. You pay me one dollar a year and get half the proceeds. <laughs> okay, that's well, a pretty good. Deal. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> that's a pretty good deal. No, we've got we've got. Um, we got most sporting events and venues here in Kansas City. That's awesome. Amazingly, Jamie, uh, women's volleyball. I uncovered women's volleyball this last year, and and if I could just do women's volleyball, I wouldn't do anything else. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. But but it's it's funny. We sell a strawberry, a banana, uh, and a strawberry and banana, a, a brownie. Excuse me, two, two two kinds: strawberry banana, strawberry brownie. So when the volleyball girls play, this is this is college or middle school, or whatever. Whenever there's a big tournament, it's amazing how early in the tournament, the girls will say, "Please leave the chocolate off," because they're trying to be healthy. Right? Yeah, yeah, boy. Once they lose a game, <laughs> it's load the chocolate up. Yeah, it's funny that's to see that. But we, but we're a perfect. Uh, uh, a uh, uh, you know perfect uh, thing for them because they're not going to eat a hamburger after they've eaten or played. I mean, yeah. they're uh, they're going to they want something light. So um, gives them energy. I'm gives them I'm fruit. hoping. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, we yeah. all and by all, when you started this business, we all were going. How's that going to work in August with this chocolate drizzle mm-hmm. and a hundred degrees at the K? Yeah, What's and there the, is a challenge there, but we I I got refrigeration and and we had to do that and. That's the one thing I didn't calculate when I saw this product in Denver. I'd forgotten that there's no humidity in Denver. Yeah. And there is humidity everywhere else. So now my focus would be on getting the Astros or getting the Brewers where they got a, a dome stadium and, mm-hmm. you know, there's no so no, uh, no weather problems. Well, so, yeah. yeah, my wife would say that I could talk about food for the next couple of hours, <laughs> but we'll, uh, yeah, we can. We'll, we'll leave that alone. But you're also mm-hmm. doing the uh, – the hockey now and so yep we've got i i think i did close to, to 300 300 dates last year we had events wow. dates last year you know I, I i've played 40 sometimes which is good for me but yeah. in the days when i wasn't doing this you and i were playing 120 rounds of golf a yeah, year that's true. uh we were both kind of retired uh, but it's a fun business, Jamie. It's fun to be. At and I know the, you love it. I just love being at the ballpark. I, I know you love being I at just, the ballpark. Just and back to that day in 1961, there was just something about it. So let's finish up this mm-hmm. little podcast with your assessment mm-hmm. as a scout, mm-hmm. having been to probably close to 80 ball games at, at the K this mm-hmm. this year. Where are we going? What do we have? Who who do you like? And mm-hmm. and well, I'll tell you, I like Mondesi. I like Mondesi a lot. But if it was me, I'd probably trade him because he's hurt all the time. Yeah. But he is he is a five tool player. And um What do you do with Merrifield? He's sort but, of a, but I yeah, he's he you know, he led the league in hits again. Again, again. I know. It's like uh, you know he's gonna get yeah somebody's gonna pick him up. Mm-hmm. The Cubs are talking about you trying to trade for him as a leadoff hitter mm-hmm. and then he'll go cold. I mean, how does he do it? I don't know, but he is a, an anomaly to me because he spent seven years in the minor leagues, yeah. and you, usually you spend that long. I mean, they've they've got you figured out. Right. Um, but he's figured he's he's become a good ball player. He's adjusted. I I, 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 I like the youth of the team, and I and I think there's there's some there's some talent here. I I know uh, they've signed a lot of kids out of after going to the College World Series for three years. Now I've seen a lot of these 
college teams that are really good, and the Royals have signed a number of these kids. Um, I just think the key is the new ownership to me. And the player development, and how, the pl- much mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. how much they dedicate Yeah, resources. But you've got to go out and get uh, some pitching, some relief pitching. Jamie, there were over 30-some games by midseason that the Royals lost after leading yeah. in the seventh inning. So, and that just gets really disheartening. Well, night after night after night. Mismanaging the time. bullpen by Ned Yost, but that's a whole other <laughs> Well, we don't podcast. have to worry about him anymore, do we? No, we don't think no. so. You never no. know. He could come out of retirement. Mm-hmm. I think Matheny's probably going to get the job. I don't know Actually, that's who I'm hoping will get the yeah. job. Yeah, I, well, he's... He certainly, you know, the women will come out just to see him. He's yeah, a stud. But he's also a former catcher. Yeah. And remember I said catchers and middle infielders, I think, make the best managers. I and he had totally a he, he had a good run at St. Louis St. Louis. I mean, you just can't manage a team for, you know, that many years and not get fired right. usually. So and he was with the Royals front office from what I understand this whole year. So I he think knows they the brought system. him up. I think they hired yeah. him to for that exact I think so reason. too. The I think so too. That they're talking to in addition to Matheny, barely ever heard of. I mean, it's I really, haven't. Yeah, I haven't either. But it's funny. I, I take a hundred dollar bill out to Wrigley and I raise it up and I say, if anybody can name the Cubs hitting coach, I'll give him a hundred bucks. And nobody can name him Who because, I, you know what? I've looked at his, I've looked at the roster of coaches. Every time I have this story, his name is Anthony Laposi. He's a Theo thug. I mean, mm-hmm. Theo wants to be a manager. That's the problem. Theo, mm. you know. I've not heard that before. Theo held a meetings, exit meetings with the players and excluded Madden last year. And if I could read between the lines, Madden said, go jump in the lake, man. Mm-hmm. Because his purpose was to solicit negative comments about Joe. He gets here late. We don't know if he's pl- when we're playing, blah, 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 blah. And um, I think Madden had made it up, made his mind up that he didn't mm-hmm. care what Theo did. And then they mm-hmm. embarrassed him by not giving him an extension. Mm-hmm. But he, f- they, they fired Chili Davis. I mean, they, everybody that Madden brought in, mm-hmm. they got rid of. Mm-hmm. And Theo, we're going to get a guy with a launch angle. And this guy was a hitting coach for the Rangers when hmm. a couple guys hit home run. Anyway. That's that's that. Well, but. that's enlightening to me because I don't follow it as close as you do from that from the Chicago standpoint. But I didn't know all that. But um, well, yeah, well, I, think the Royals, good, but, I like Jorge Soler, my man. Oh, from I do Chicago. too. I do too. I uh, like him a lot too. And he worked hard. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, he's got a long-term contract. I hope so because he he has really developed into a much better player than I thought. I thought Bonifacio was going to be better than him, but I was wrong. Well. He wasn't very good with the Cubs, and then when he came down here, they sent him to Omaha. But mm-hmm. I think that got his attention, and I don't know him, but he allegedly worked out really hard in the offseason. Mm-hmm. He's chiseled. The dude's, like, he is. repped. Mm-hmm. And by God, he made contact with 47 dingers or something mm-hmm. like that. Royals record. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah, and that's good. And he hits the ball hard. Oh. I mean, he hits line drives You really can't hard. catch a cold mm-hmm. out in the outfield, though. I mean, he's, right. a, he's a DH. Yep, he's and a so is the Cubs' left fielder Schwarber. I mean, they could have traded <laughs> that guy for a lot of pitching. But, but he can, but he can hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we could do this for a long time. Okay. But, uh, thank you very much. Oh for, no, the pleasure's for being mine. A guest on the uh, lighter side of baseball. I don't know how light it was, but I think there were some funny stories, and uh, I hope I'm so. sure we got a few more. But it uh, sure made me feel good and made me uh, well, I made look me made to me let's think back to some, some great memories, Jamie. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, mm-hmm. and I look forward to our next podcast together. It was Absolutely. Fun. Thank All you, right, buddy. Man, okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm.